Thank you, Phyllis. So we're uh, continuing our best year ever series, and uh, this is the last one. And we're uh, really basically just talking about how we can love one another better. This, this idea of the best year ever is something that we engage in every year at this time. We find ourselves, uh, uh, you know, trying to develop new habits and patterns. Some of you are like, I need to go to church this year because that's what's going to make 2018 better. And that's a really good thing and a valuable thing to do. But having our best year ever is, more of a, uh, is about more than just merely having the events of our lives go the way that we would like them to go. It's about, it's about connection. It's about something deeper. And if we're going to truly follow Jesus and be who and what he has expected us to be, then, then our best year ever has to involve what he, call, what he said were the, the greatest commandments, that, that we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbors, yourselves, all the, as yourself. The law, all the law and the prophets hang on these two con- commandments. And this is a deeply, deeply challenging statement for us. We, we talked last year about what we were going to do to ingrain habits in us that would help us to love God more. And, and this week I want us to talk about how we're going to love our neighbor any, uh, more. Because this is a deeply revolutionary statement that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. And it's really incredibly difficult because so many people in this world are deeply hard to love. And I know that that's a thing that you might be uncomfortable with me saying, that I I should be as a pastor seeing the beauty and the image of God in everyone, and that should make them easy to love. And that's true. But then also, people bug. And they, and and they, they, they come and they, they don't let you into traffic when you would like them to let you into traffic. And they, 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 they wear dumb shoes, right? Like there's all sorts of things that make people difficult to love. And this is incredibly important for us to ask this question, how do we love our neighbor? And not just in a way that's vague and not just in a way that, 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 that doesn't affect the way that we live on a day-to-day basis and not just in a way that's like, I want to have a general feeling of goodwill for the world, something that actually has hands and feet on it, something that is concrete. How do we love our neighbor? And I think it's fascinating for us that, that, when, that when we're, as followers of Jesus, are asked what love looks like, how we see it, how it is embodied for us, that, that John, the disciple of Jesus, says this in, 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 when he's writing his letter to his people in, in 1 John. He says, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So desperately, desperately important for us to grasp this and spend some time wrestling with it. That, that this idea begins with, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. The demonstration of what love looks like is Jesus. The demonstration of how we ought to treat our neighbors, the people around us, all of, those, all of those people that are so difficult to love, the way that we demonstrate how we ought to feel and more importantly act towards them is embodied in Jesus. 
that he was sent here from glory, from safety, from security, from comfort, that Jesus stepped out of that and into our world and love moved into the neighborhood. And that not only did he move in and among us, but that he loved us and came as an atoning sacrifice for us. That that love was not merely present, which is a hugely important part, but in addition to being present among us, this love was sacrificial. So the demonstration of the love that we ought to have is sacrifice. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So for followers of Jesus, when we talk about the love that we ought to have for our neighbors, love equals sacrifice. Really simply. Okay? This is not a complex idea, but it's an incredibly difficult idea. Okay? And it's incredibly hard because for us, when we talk about loving our neighbor, it means sacrifice. Sacrifice of time, potentially sacrifice of time finances, potentially sacrifices, uh, sacrifice of positions of power, sacrifice of comfort, of, of the benefits of this world. All of those things, if, when we love other people as we've been called to in Jesus, we lay those things down sacrificially for the benefit of other people. Okay? All of that is on us. If our demonstration of what love looks like is God sending his son and his son sacrificially dying for us while we were yet sinners, then it's incumbent on us as followers of Jesus to say, okay, that means us going and that means us laying our lives down for those people around us. And this is interesting because choice because love now becomes a choice that we have to make about the way that we relate to other people around us. When we walk through this world and we see all of the people around us that are difficult to love, all of, you know, be they family members, be they coworkers, be they strangers, all of these people that are difficult to love, we have, we have choices in how we act towards them. The most common choice and easiest choice that we have when surrounded by a world of people who are difficult to love is apathy. To just be like, I don't care about any of these people. I care about me. I care about what I can get. I care about my own benefit, comfort, peace. And maybe that extends to the group of people that also make me feel comfortable. But the way that I feel about most of the world is apathy. I don't know those people. Who cares? That's an easy place to stay. And that's kind of the default setting for human beings. But that is not what we've been called to in Jesus. We're not allowed apathy. We're not allowed hatred, which is, takes a lot more energy than apathy. It takes a lot of energy. Like, hatred is much closer to love because you really got to work at getting up hatred for somebody else. We're not allowed to have that as followers of Jesus. We can be frustrated and angry with people. Don't get me wrong. We can, we can, be, incredibly, uh, uh, we can be incredibly frustrated in justice, but we're not allowed hatred. That's not an option which that's not in our drop-down box as followers of Jesus, okay? Hatred is not in there. Bitterness, we're not allowed to allow the roots of bitterness to, to, to grow inside us. We're not allowed to have fear for other people. We're not allowed to, to, to see other people as opponents that are gonna take away our, our comfort and our peace and our joy and, our, and all of these things. We are required to view people with love and to actively sacrifice on behalf of others. And all of this starts, if we're going to learn how to love people better, all of this starts by understanding the great love and sacrifice that was given to us. 
Love comes from God. Everyone that loves has been born from God. If we understand the manner of love that has been given unto us, we all know that, many of you know that song, Behold What Manner of Love the Father Has Given Unto Us, that we should be called the children of God. That's from a later passage in another part of 1 John, I'm pretty sure. But when we behold that, when we actually take that in and understand it, then all of a sudden we view ourselves differently. And now we have resources to to allow his son to live through us that we can actively love the world. We understand the sacrifice that has been made of us, and therefore we can give sacrificially to the world. If we understood the love that has been given to us, we can then go out and love the world. If I gave you $1 billion, would it be difficult to give a million dollars away to the people that you encounter? No, why not? Because you have lots, right? If I have one billion of something, I can give away abundantly because I can always look back and say, see of this stuff that I have. What if you, there was an un, unlimited resource of love and peace and comfort and security that we were drawing on? How much then could you give away? You could give away everything. There's no limit to what you can give away because there's no limit to what you can draw on. And so often we get this idea that like I can only sacrifice so much because this is all I've got and I totally understand how that feels. But what we've been instructed by John as a follower of Jesus is that what we've been given is limitless. And if what we've been given is limitless, then also our giving can be limitless. We can lay down all of our lives because we know that even life has been given to us eternally and in abundance, right? So when we look at the resources from which we have to give, our resources of time, our resources of finances, our resources of sacrificial living, all of these things, we don't look at our accounts and see how much is in there. We look at the accounts of the Lord and see how much he has to, because everything that he has is ours. It's incredibly important. So this love that we have for our neighbors starts by grasping the love that we have been given uh, the, the love of God, his love for us and his power in us. So, which still leads us back to this because it's one thing to understand that like, okay, so I love my neighbor by giving sacrificially from the infinite resources that are given to me by the Father. But that doesn't answer the question because how am I still supposed to do this? How am I supposed to, uh, to, to, there, there are so many wrong people in the world, right? People are tough to love. People are wrong about things on the internet, right? There are people that like that song that you hate and keep making them play it on the radio, right? All of those people that, like, who likes that song? Those, right? You understand what that feels like? There are people who, 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 who continue, there are people who like this, ver- that, that remake the movie that you liked as a child and that has ruined your life somehow, right? Like there are people, people are difficult to love. There's people who, who view things differently than you do and, we're, and there are more and more binary categories of people. And this is, we've done this so consistently in our world. And, and as we've become more tied together through social media and communication, it's interesting how we've found more and more ways to divide us into, into different categories, be it, be it conservative, be it liberal, 
be it progressive, be it not progressive, be it, be it I support this brand of politician and I dislike this brand of politician. Or then we divide each other in the, like we used to in the ancient days along tribal grounds. I'm of, I'm of this ethnicity of person and you are on the outside because you're of that ethnicity of person. And, and, we, and we divide and divide and divide into these binary categories. And not only do we divide people into different categories, uh, the, what, what, what we do is not to just say like you are different than me and, and that's okay. What we do is we declare that these binary categories of people are not only opposite, but in opposition. Where if you are, if I am liberal and you are conservative, or if I am conservative, I don't have a, a political category. I don't care. I'm not that smart to follow these things. But if, I, if you b believe differently than me about a certain issue, not only are we in disagreement about this, somehow in our world we've created this system where I have to destroy you because you are actively opposing the peace and the joy that I'm working, looking for. So now, now we are no longer people working together to try and make this world better. If you disagree with me, you are now my enemy, right? That's the way that this world is. Uh, that's the way that we've developed. So, so if someone makes an incorrect statement on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, it's not just like, I disagree with that, but whatever, it doesn't affect my life that much. It's now, I have to smash you into pieces in order that my idea of what, what the world is can be restored and remain upright. And we've created in our world so many camps that are created merely to divide people and push people into one direction or the other and set us up in opposition to each other. And it's completely contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why it frustrates me so much when we as followers of Jesus and Christians engage in this dividing into camps because this is not something that we're called to participate in. It's very clear when Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, He's talking about all of these divisions that existed at the time amongst people, and their big dividing lines were Jew and Gentile, that there were people who were Jewish and part of the, the chosen people, and there were people who were not ethnically part of the chosen people, and they had to become like the chosen people in order to be allowed into the kingdom of God. And Paul comes along and says, that's not what it's about. It's not about this ethnicity versus that ethnicity. It's not about, about this religious tradition versus that religious tradition. It's, it, it, it's not about which kingdom or empire or food you eat or any other category that was dividing people. What he says is that it's about Christ Jesus. And in Galatians 3, he says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed, clothed yourselves with Christ. So there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no conservative nor liberal, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no gay nor straight, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And I know I'm pushing you hard on that, but I'm going to get around to it later. There is no white nor black, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All of these divisions that we've created to divide each other up, there is no person who participates in Christian subculture versus person who does not participate in Christian subculture. You are all one in Christ Jesus. 
All of these categories that divide us pale in comparison to the great reality that unites us, which is in Jesus, that all humans in Jesus are potentially part of the same family. All humans in Jesus Christ are potentially part of the same body. Now, I want to be clear, and this is where it jumps into into disagreements. I want to be really clear about this. This doesn't mean that we don't disagree with people. This doesn't mean that we don't call sin, sin when we see sin. This doesn't mean that we don't say that there are ways of being and acting and behaving that are destructive to ourselves and to people around us and that are contrary to what God has called us to. So, we've, so we do push back against injustice. We do push back against those who would de- define humanity merely by our sexual behavior. We do push back against those people who would define humanity based on our economic viability. We do push back against that. We do push back against sin in the world. But we do so as brothers and sisters with people that we love. Most of you are part of some sort of family. Most of you have brothers and sisters. How many of you have gotten into arguments with your brothers and sisters? Yeah. How many of you have you gotten into very difficult and hard arguments with your brothers and sisters? Do you argue with your brothers and sisters differently than you do a stranger? Yeah. Of course you do. You argue differently with your brother and sister. Even if, you, like, look, and I, like, my brother and I have gone toe-to-toe on more than one occasion, and, and my, my mom and I have gotten after each other in arguments in a way that it's caused discomfort to those, those around us. But, but we do so as family. And we understand that no matter how much we disagree, we're going to have to figure this thing out together because on the other side of this disagreement, we're still part of the same family. On the other side of this disagreement, we're still part of the same body. On the other side of this disagreement, we're still part of the same world. And what concerns me about the way that we disagree with each other in our current society is that we do not disagree with people in a way that suggests that we are still members of the same family on the other side of this disagreement. We disagree in a way that says that we're going to burn you to the ground and nothing will be left on the other side. And as followers of Jesus, yes, it is incumbent that we disagree with people hard and strong. It is incumbent that we call out sin when we see it. But it is also incumbent that we do so as people who deeply, deeply care about those that we're disagreeing with. Who do so with the humility that comes from knowing that we might be wrong too. And do so with love for our brothers and sisters because you know that, that, that when you fight with your brother and sister, you're still going to have a brother and sister on the other side. That we push back against sin and injustice and exploitation. We don't allow our experience of disagreement to diminish the humanity that we see in another human being. We recognize that we are stuck together in this world and God is causing us to grow up together as weeds and tares, and we don't lash out at the weeds, but we recognize that we're, we're, that we're stuck together, and destroying each other is not the way out to the world that we've, called, that, that we've been called to. John continues expanding on his ideas in 1 John 3. He says, this is how we know what love is. 
Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So whether we are in agreement with someone, if this is someone who is part of our church family, that it's easy to recognize our connection, or even if this is someone who is outside of our church family and it's really difficult for them to, 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 recognize, to recognize them as family because they have entirely different opinions about everything that matters to us, we still say that we lay down our life for them because Jesus laid down his life for them. And if I love Jesus, I ought to lay down my life for people in the same way that Jesus laid down his life for people. That is what we've been called to. And I'm not saying this is somebody who has gotten this right all of the time. I want to be really clear. I'm a person who has is, who is, who is seen somebody say something on social media and I felt that adrenaline rush and I've been like, I got it smashed. You know, I felt that too. So I know where it comes from. I know what it's like to, 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 to have somebody affect your pride in such a way that you feel like fighting them is the only way out of this. And I know what it's like to have bitterness grow in your heart to the point where, where you don't even recognize your feelings toward a person anymore. I get what that's like. I'm working on that. But the reality is this is what we've been called to, that we're in disagreement with people. When we see our neighbors, we give ourselves sacrificially to them. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Some of you remember me saying this from a couple of weeks ago, but the story of the, uh, 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 of the Good Samaritan is that anyone, your neighbor is anyone whose need you see, whose need you are in a position to meet. Right? So we give sacrificially for each other. How, if we see a brother and sister in need but have no pity on them, if we see a brother or sister who is wrong, how could we not have pity on them? If we see someone who has completely misguided about what a human being is and is lost in this world and thinks that their, that their salvation is going to be, going to be found in, 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 in money or power or sexual activity or political allegiances, if they're so lost that they think that those are the things that define a human being, how can we not have pity on them? How can we not have pity on ourselves when we get caught up in the same delusions, Right? How can the love of God be in us? But dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. It's not good enough for us to merely say that we have a generalized feeling of goodwill for people. We gotta put tangible hands and feet on it. And it's gotta be sacrificial. Love is sacrifice. And it appears that 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 this mat and the, the way that we treat our brothers and sisters matters very, very deeply to God. So what is this going to look like for us as a congregation? Well, there's a couple of things that we're going to work towards, and there's a couple of ideas that we're entertaining, and, and those are going to come later in a, in, a, in, a, in a congregational meeting. But this is something that I want to say. And you guys have done really good at this. But, but we've done this as a church where we've opened up a good chunk of our basement to, to Youth for Christ to be used amongst the youth of, that, of this community. And that, in all honesty, has, uh, if we were to really kind of crunch the numbers, that has, been, uh, that has probably cost us more money than it's worth. Um, and, that, and, and we haven't received, if we, if we were doing a math equation on our relationship with the seller, then... Uh, then it wouldn't be worthwhile doing it. But that's what sacrifice is. 
And sometimes you say that something is more, that, 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 that providing space for young people in this community to be cared for and loved and told about Jesus and more, is more important than, the, than the, the mind-numbing work that it took to get there. And sometimes as a church, we are going to be called to things that are sacrificial for us, that we're going to say, and so let us not have our first question be, how does this benefit us? But let our first question be, how is this demonstrating the love of Jesus to the community around us? Because if we're honest, lots of times when we do things for other people, the math doesn't work. But we don't worship a God who cares about math in that way. The math of the Lord is incredibly and vastly different. So, as we ask and answer this question for this best year ever in 2018, how can we love our neighbor as ourselves, our first step is to recognize the depth and the breadth and the height and the power and, and the amazing sacrifice of the love that has been given to us. And out of that, recognize that as much of that infinite resource of love and grace and peace has been given to us, that same amount of love and grace and peace has been given to every single human being that we encounter. Every person, every face, no matter what ideas they have, no matter their circumstances, no matter what they've done, no matter what they are doing, no matter whether they look like us or not, or whether we agree with them or not, every single human being that we encounter has as much love and peace and grace and hope given to them in Jesus as we do. And how can we not love them as our brother and sister in return? So let's pray. God. Loving our neighbor as ourselves is not a complex task. We don't need a new formula. We don't need a new idea of how these things work. But it is an incredibly difficult task. And we need your strength and your Holy Spirit to remind us that when we encounter someone who, who, bat, who, who makes us feel like we're backed into a corner, who makes us feel like we have to argue with them or fight with them, or, or, or to remind us of their humanity, to remind us of your love for that person. When, that, when we have been sinned against deeply, to remind us of your love even for those who sin against us because that is how we forgive and that is how we love and that is how we give ourselves sacrificially for others. So help us to do this not just begrudgingly because we know that this is what you have commanded us but also because we know that this is where our joy is found. That it's in, in, in sacrificing of ourselves that we find meaning and purpose and joy in this world because we're, we're emulating what you have done in this world. Give us the strength to do that. Give us the courage to do that. And remind us when it doesn't feel good that we are following you in the midst of, in the midst of your work in this world. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So as we come to this table, there's no clearer example of the sacrifice made on our behalf. And part of how and why we come to this table is to be reminded again and again and again of the Lord's death until he comes again. Because that Lord's death was not merely a historical event. That Lord's death was a sacrifice made on our behalf. 
that every time we eat this bread and drink this cup ought to remind us of the depth of love for us, of the depth of hope that is available to us, of the depth of healing that is available to us. And traditionally, we take this time prior to coming to this table to recognize that if we're going to get this unity from Jesus, then we need to be in unity with one another. So I would ask you before you come to this table to, to, to think in your mind and ask the Holy Spirit to bring into your mind all of the, the, the baggage that you've been carrying in relation to other people, all of the, the bitterness or the anger or the fear or the hatred that has been building up inside you and, and, and lay that down in Christ because that is what he has called and asked us to do. And as we come to this table, as we receive the blessing of Jesus, we leave equipped and prepared to share that blessing with others. So let's take a minute. And, and in the Holy Spirit, take a look at your heart and see where and who you need to have your attitude changed so that you can truly and deeply love your neighbor as yourself. Let's take a moment. down there to come forward and get the elements and to return with the elements of communion to your seats and we will all partake together. If you would prefer not to come forward, just stay where you are, raise your hand and someone will be able to serve you at your seat. And on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you, take and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant which is poured out the forgiveness of sins it's in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins take and drink all of it so again remembering